as we continue through the book of Revelation, my brothers and sisters, we find ourselves with seven churches, seven spirits before God's throne, experiencing times of tribulation, times of oppression and division, times of persecution and times of poverty, times of temptation, times of weariness. And when we find ourselves in times of tribulation, as John himself is experiencing as he's jailed in Patmos, we often ask the question, how long? How long can we endure? And not only do we ask the question, how long? We ask what or who will come and deliver us? As we experience our times of tribulation these days, we think, who will come and deliver us from the injustices of this world? Will there be a party who represents values? Will there be a leader who demonstrates character? Will there be change that will bring us into a different age? Or, or we think in terms of, of where we are with this disease, with COVID, we may be wondering, will there be a doctor or a scientist who is wise, who is intelligent, who is caring, who brings about a vaccine or a cure or a way of going forward? And we wonder, who, what will come and deliver us from the struggles and the bonds of this world? This is what is on the heart of John as we come into Revelation chapter 5, the struggles of the churches and the struggles of himself. And as we hear about John and his vision, as we hear these verses, I want to take a moment and imagine them slowly because we read through them quickly. But what we have in front of us is this grand drama of grace and we need to appreciate it for its beauty. So I'd like us to imagine slowly and we'll begin with verse 1, and we'll go through to verse 3, and we'll just take that chunk for a moment, where we see God, the Holy One, sitting on His throne. And in His right hand is a scroll with writing on both sides of it. And there are seven seals that are on that scroll that are keeping it closed. We've already seen what surrounds the throne in chapter 4. So here is God with the scroll, and around is the church and all of creation. And we see great creatures. And we see elders bearing witness and song. There are patriarchs and apostles. There are prophets and kings. There are birds and beasts and sea and storm. And in this scene, a mighty angel, a strong angel steps forward and with a loud voice announces who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And we pause and we find ourselves in the space that is between verses 2 and 3. And in our imagination, we should wonder what happens there. Is there, is there a test? Is there a, a contest? Is there a tournament? In my imaginings, I picture something like the sword in the stories of Arthurian legend, the sword that's in the stone. 
And lining up to come and to pull it out, to break the seals, are the brightest and the best, the strongest and the most virtuous, the powerful and the wise. All of these examples of the greatest of each coming and taking their turn. And we see in this story, one of the beasts perhaps, the ox stepping forward with harness and yoke, tying himself to the seal and pulling with strength that splits the earth. And the eagle grabbing with talons and lifting with wings that reach up to the highest heights. The lion coming with sharp claws and majesty, tearing at the seals, biting with razor teeth to no avail. Or perhaps the kings of the earth, David, maybe Solomon, Or why not one of the judges of old, Samson, with all of his hair and all of his strength? Or perhaps the mighty angels of the heavenly host, Michael, stepping forward, or Gabriel, all coming to see if they are worthy to open the scroll. Does John, the beloved disciple of Jesus himself, dare try his hand? Whatever happened between verses 2 and 3, we do not know. But what we do know is that there was no one, not one found to be worthy, not on the earth, not below the earth, not in the heavens above. And because of this, we're told that John wept and he wept. When weeping is repeated in our Bibles, we have to understand that this is the greatest of sadness, that this is grief unabated, the depths of despair. Now the question that we have to ask is why? Why is John, who has has had the hand of God upon his shoulder, who has heard these messages to the seven churches, why is he so devastated? Why is he crushed? Why is he crying? And for that answer, we have to look back. Because the apocalypse, the book of Revelation, is part of the larger story of Scripture. And as John is seeing this scene that is playing out in front of him, of beasts and sea and scroll and horns, he is remembering the visions of Daniel in chapters 7 and 12. Now there simply isn't enough time for us to dive deep. We're testing new technology today. And the battery certainly won't hold out for us if we do that. But a couple of verses will get us started. In Daniel 7, verse 10, we read about the thousands upon thousands attending him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the scrolls were opened. And in Daniel 12, verse 1, we read, But at that time your people, everyone whose name is found written in the scroll, will be delivered. And John is devastated because the scroll that God is holding is this scroll of life. Sometimes we call it the book of life. It's the same word in Greek, and for some reason in our English Bibles, we translate it both ways in different places, but it's the same word, the book, the scroll of life. And what's important is that Daniel's vision is communicating to all of Israel that there will be a day when that scroll is opened with all of the suffering and sin and brokenness of death, all the enemies, all the persecution, all the wrongs in the world, that they will come to an end. That's the promise. 
that shalom and peace and goodness and life will be with all of creation. And so now here is John, and he sees the scroll, the book of life. And he's seeing that sea that was raging in front of Daniel has now been calmed. That the terrible beasts who have opposed God in Daniel are now replaced with the glorious beasts that offer God praise. And it looks to John like maybe that day has come. But the scroll is sealed. And nobody can open it. And John weeps because he thinks... Maybe it's not time yet. He grieves that if no one is worthy, maybe it will never come. John is grieving for the long-suffering of the world, wondering, will it always be so hard? These are our prayers. These are our griefs that he is bringing to bear. Will keep, people keep hurting one another? Will children keep dying? Will disease continue to wither us away? Will the rich keep exploiting the poor? Will the powerful continue to oppress the weak? Will our biology continue to betray us to the grave? Will our fears continue to hinder and divide us? And we're going to learn as we move through chapters 6 through 8 that the seals that are keeping this book of life, this scroll of life, closed are the things that keep us from that life and shalom. The things that cause us to pray these laments and ask these questions. The results of sin and brokenness that have closed off, sealed off Eden for us. But right now, we are with John wondering, will the bonds of sin ever be loosened when no one is worthy? So here is John in his tears, in his grief, in his despair, thinking like many of us sometimes think when we look at the world, when we see suffering around us, when we feel pain within us, and we think maybe one day we'll get this all sorted out and then another fall comes. The strong man disappoints. The wise one falters. The good person stumbles. And we find ourselves in it again. John's grief is our grief. But then we read in verse 5, One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And here we see the big picture being painted. And we have to appreciate it. We have to read verse 5 slowly. And then move into verse 6. Because in verse 5, we hear about the Lion of Judah, of Messiah. The promise that God made to His people that this day would come for the world. That there would be one who was worthy. One who was able. One who could deliver all of creation from the sins that ensnared it. And if we see the vision so far, John has witnessed some incredible things. Powerful beings. Patriarchs and apostles. Kings and prophets. Mighty angels. And now... What must this Lion of Judah be compared to this? Of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the one who has triumphed. What is this going to look like? And then we come into verse 6. Then I saw the Lamb 
looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Here we find Jesus bearing the marks of grace. Chapter 4 and 5 are a revelation of worship, the praise and glory and honor that we bring to God. But what we need to see at the center of it all is this, a lamb battered and bloodied. This is not what John expected. And this is not what anyone would expect. Where is the hero? Where are the muscles? Where is the mighty ruler? Where is the wise philosopher? Where is the beautiful and inspirational figure? Where is the fearless general or the bold innovator? Where is the good and kind healer? Where is the virtuous priest? If we think about saving the world, if we want to make it better, if we think about a day when everything is going to be put to right, at the center of it, we might be tempted to put one or two or all of these things there, but that's not at the heart of God's glory. Not strength or might or power. What defines what God is up to in this world, what is at the center of everything, is a lamb who was slain and is standing. And the lamb has none of these other things. We find this in Isaiah 53, verse 2. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And when we listen to the song that the 10,000 upon 10,000 that Daniel prophesied, as they sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Note that he had none of these things, but that he was worthy to receive them. This is the big reveal of Scripture. The apocalypse. The good news that at the heart of our worship, that at the heart of the salvation of all things, the heart of the answer to all of our tears and prayers, and why we have hope, is because the Lamb who was slain is standing, because Jesus died and rose again. This is the upside-down kingdom versus the empire of Caesar. The thing that we would not expect is that at the heart of our worship is the Lamb. This is the beautiful picture of worship that is presented. This is the heart of God's glory. This is His love for us demonstrated through the grace and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now from this, how does this impact us? Well, I can think of three ways and there are probably many, but here are three. And the first is this. The first is a question. A question for you. What is at the heart of your worship? Or a more Practical question, what is at the center of everything that you do? Why do you get up in the morning? Why is it that you do the things that you do? What's at the core of your being? Why do you hope and breathe and move and create and love and work? Why are we the church? What is the message that we're meant to bring to the world? And as we ask ourselves that question, we need to see what's at the center. Do we see a lamb who is slain? And standing. This is what God is up to, and this is what God places into our hearts. This is the center of our worship. 
And when we have that, when we have the center, when we answer that question and we see the lamb who was slain and standing, then the second thing we can do is we can pay attention to the things that we sometimes try to put in there that are not worthy. And one of the challenges of our lives is we keep coming back to these other things when we enter into times of tribulation, when we come into times of trial, when we come into times of disease. We think our technology or our intelligence or our wisdom will save us. Or when there are times of oppression or societal discord, we think maybe a new politician, a new leader will come and save us. Or where there are enemies at the gate, maybe if we win that war and we get strong, maybe the day will come when the world is good and our problems will go away. But what we see time and time again is that none of these things can save the world. And that needs to bring us back to that center. They sang a new song we read in verse 9, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. The salvation of the world. The restraint of our sin. The day that we long for comes when we find the Lamb who was slain and is standing. So we ask the question, and then we ask that question of ourselves, and then we look and we ask that question of the world, but then it impacts us as well, because not only do we receive the grace of Jesus Christ in his dying and rising, he has purchased us with his blood. The center of the universe, his standing, comes for us. And then it impacts us in the way that we live. And what we need to know is how does this new revelation, how does this heart of worship transform us? And what we find is that we then need to go in his image. And we need to replace our way of being, our model for changing the world. We don't change the world by our strength or by our talent or by our intelligence or by our power. We change it by our love by our sacrifice, by our willingness to follow the Lamb who was slain and who is standing. We read this in Philippians chapter 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a human being, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. How do we change the world? We change the world by changing our hearts, finding at the heart of our worship the lamb slain and standing. And then we go into the world and we follow as he led. We live and we die and we rise again. Dying to sin and rising to Christ, which means emptying ourselves and loving as Christ loved us. This is the blessing and the gospel of our Lord for we, his people. Shall we pray? Our Lord and God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this revelation of what is at the heart of everything. The lamb who was slain and who is standing. For Jesus, your Son, given for us, who emptied himself, 
so that we might live. And Lord, during times of trial and tribulation, we may be tempted to look to other things, to find comfort and strength or in power or in wisdom or in technology or any other thing. But we see in Revelation 5, all of these things bowing down and giving glory to you. Because what truly brings shalom and peace and life into this world is not the violence of strength or superiority, but the love that sacrifices and says you first. Jesus, who gives us life. May we look to the center of our hearts and lives and may we see Jesus, the Lamb who was slain and standing. May we look to the world in all its grief and find hope in the praise that is offered, knowing that he is worthy to open the seals and to read from the book of life. And may it impact our lives as we seek to live like him, not trying to amass strength and power, but to love and to give and to follow him. We pray this all, we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.